And we've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which kind of equates maybe officially or unofficially to like the quintessential, um, the quintessential chunk of teaching that Jesus does. And if you remember, uh, when we started this um, several weeks ago, we started it, um, this, this series on the Sermon on the Mount, in an effort to refamiliarize ourselves with what we call like the, the Jesus ethic of life. And the reason that we did that is because as followers of Jesus Christ, right, as disciples of Jesus, uh, we want our lives, our beliefs, our thoughts, our words, our decisions to be closely aligned with that of Jesus. Uh, with Je- how Jesus thinks, how Jesus spoke, how Jesus related to people, what he taught, what he encouraged uh, his disciples to do and to be. Um, and especially, um, especially important as we come up, did you know that there's an election next month? Has anyone told you about that? Have you heard anything about that? Um, you know, if you're not like, you're not on the internets too much, you might not know that. But yeah, there is an election next month. And um, like ev- probably every other election throughout our period of time, we've heard about how important this one is more than the others and da-da-da-da-da. And we're not here to make any political statements or leanings in any one way or any direction or the other. Uh, what we want to do is we want to refamiliarize ourselves with the Jesus ethic of life and teaching so that we can make informed decisions not just about, uh, not just about who we're going to vote for or why we're going to vote or whatever, but about of all life and about all relationships that we have and all decisions that we make. And the Sermon on the Mount is a good way for us to do that because so many times in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus makes some really distinctive and different statements than the world normally does. And we've talked about those the last few weeks, right? Where you have this opening line where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, blank, 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 but I tell you, blank, 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 right? So some examples would be like when we talked about... um, murder and our like relationships with people like I don't know about you but I don't personally struggle with murder like it's not just not something that I've struggled with in my life um but so I may think that like oh well if Jesus is talking about murder that really doesn't pertain to me and that might be right but what Jesus does he was like you have heard that it was said you shall not murder but I tell you anyone who even hates or has enmity against someone else is guilty essentially of the same heart condition as someone who murders. So that like, that takes it from something that's like way, way, way above our head and like shoots it right down to each, like into our hearts. Like, right, what is the heart condition of a person who like desires to kill someone? All right. What is the heart condition of someone who thinks, who is just, angry or um, like spewing condemnation on someone, they're the same. Right? They're, they're equal in the mind of the Lord. Or um, like uh, the last sermon that I preached before I went on vacation, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, Jesus says, right? But I tell you, if someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn, the, turn to them the left also. If someone takes your tunic, give them your cloak as well. If someone asks you to go one mile with them, go with them two instead. And so like what Jesus says there is like, like, look, you might always be thinking that you have a right to justice when someone does something wrong to you. When someone hurts you or injures you or slaps you on the right cheek, right? You have a right to pop them back. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But what I tell you, Jesus says, is, paraphrasing of course, that, that laying down what you might have a right to, what may be justice in that, in that situation, 
gives you an opportunity to communicate both with your words and your inaction against them to communicate a much deeper, more profound, spiritual um, message about grace and about mercy and about forbearance. And so if we take all of that kind of in context of that the world has a way of thinking, has a way of interacting with different people in relationships or processing through situations where maybe a wrong has been done to me, whatever, and, well, what is my right? Uh, that Jesus often has an um, ethic of life or relationship that's different than that. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, to what extent will we choose his ethic? Um, it's, a, it's a critical question uh, for us all. Um, so this morning, uh, Jesus kind of departs from the, you have heard that it was said long ago, blank, 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 but I tell you, blank, blank, blank. Um, but no less, um, no less important or powerful is this next section of Scripture. Um, and so we're going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. There should be Bibles in your seats. If there's not, we have it up on the screen. Also get it on the Bible app or whatever. If you have the Conduit Ministries app, we have a link to the Bible there that you can use as well. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. And if you're in a, like an actual physical paper Bible, you know, like us old fogies um, carry around a book, um, you might see that we're going through one section and into another section. Like, well, why are you talking about giving to the needy and prayer? See, these kind of like paragraphs and headings in our Bibles, they, they can be really super helpful. They can also be a little confusing, right? Because um, Jesus really talks about the same point or principle when he talks about giving to the needy as he does when he starts talking about prayer. He, he uses giving to the needy and our prayer life as kind of case studies for the spiritual like point that he's making or that we're trying to communicate right so that's why we're going into both sections and what jesus wants to talk about this morning is that jesus has always been a big fan of the alignment that happens between my heart and my motives my heart and my motives and my actions right so he wants those two things to be closely aligned to each other we're going to see that right we're going to see that in the in the um, gospels this morning you know and it's it's always been my desire and it's always been our desire here at conduit to kind of uphold the same type of i guess you call it culture right where um, where we, we uphold the, um, the importance and the freedom of vulnerability and almost um, an overt awkwardness about the reality of life. Because when you come through these doors, as most people do, right, and someone says, hey, how was your week? Um, our almost default response was, oh, our week was great. You know, I read my Bible three hours a day. I prayed for the other ten hours that I was awake, right? I never got angry at my kids. I have a great relationship with my spouse. I, never, I didn't kick the dog, right? I forgave everyone. I gave generously, right? Have no, no unresolved pain in my, in my heart. No, no envy, no greed, no lust, no pride. Nothing. Like all things, all, firing on all eight cylinders this week. Oh, good. Yeah, me too. Right. Okay. Nice to see you. See you next week. Because there is, uh, and I am assuming that you know this because you've experienced it, there is kind of this like awkwardness that comes along with uh, when you, um, when someone is like, hey, how you doing? And they're honest with you about how they're doing. Like it was kind of a bad week. 
um, I got angry a lot, and um, I was really greedy with everything that I had, and I uh, got in a fight with my wife this morning, and I kicked the dog on my way out the door, um, and then I drove over the speed limit all the way here, and just, right, like bad, 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 and there's kind of like, oh, see, I don't know if you know this or not, but when you come to church, you're supposed to pretend like you got it all together, okay? So if you could just, like, spit and polish that life and let us know that you're good, I'm good, we're all good, nothing's ever wrong, that's kind of like what we do here. That's not what we do here. Right? And that's not what we want here. Right? What, what, what we want and what we believe Jesus honors in our lives is the alignment between what is going on in our hearts, the reality, and what we communicate with our lives. Wow, right here. And it's actually when we try to walk in life being disaligned, when there is the most pain that is caused, right? where we misrepresent the gospel the most, and where Jesus is actually like, he's more compassionate and kind and gentle when we know that stuff is just not going well and we're honest about it than he is when we're on the outside trying to promote this um, like uber spit and polished life but on the inside, things are just a wreck. Things are just a mess. And we'll see that here. Okay? Um, so, Jesus uses um, giving and prayer as two things to like talk about alignments. Okay? Um, so, let's actually get into the Scripture. Matthew chapter 6. Starting at verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. And I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, there are lots of things that we can um, hear from the Lord on this passage of Scripture. We're going to try and hit a few of them. Um, but the first is that Jesus opens with this warning. He says, be careful. Be aware. Now, um, I've got five kids, right? We've got a wood stove in a part of our house, and um, every fall when it starts to get cold again, every winter when we kick the wood stove back up to, you know, like, take some of the chill out of the air, I say the same things to my kids every year. Be careful. It's hot. Or, don't go near the road. Be careful. Be aware. Because there is some risk involved with doing that. Now, what am I, what am I saying and what am I not saying um, when, when we say be careful? Now, what I'm not saying is, hey, kids, don't ever go near the wood stove to warm your hands or to get warm. Right? Because there's actual, actually a really good reason to go and do that, right? It's warm. 
So I, I, I want you to utilize the heat. I want you to do that. I just want you to understand that when you do that, there is risk involved. That it is, has potential danger there involved. Same thing with crossing the road. You've got to cross the road, right? But beware and be careful. There is risk involved in that. So what we're not saying is that when you consider these things that you should avoid them at all costs. And what is Jesus what are the case studies that Jesus uses? Well, he says giving to the needy and praying, essentially praying in public. And like and what Jesus is not saying is like look, you should avoid giving to the needy because it's so Risky to give with a motive that is not true, that is better that you just like avoid it altogether. And same thing with prayer. Don't ever pray, especially in public, because there's so much risk involved. What he's saying is, is like, we need to just like stop for a hot second, consider why we do the things that we do the reasons that we're doing the things that we're doing, and make sure that what is inside is aligned with what is on the outside. And that's really the whole gist of this section of Scripture. Be careful because there's risk of misalignment. Don't avoid it. Don't be scared of it. Just be aware. Now what he says here is he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Now what is an act of righteousness? What does Jesus mean when he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness? What he's not saying is that acts of righteousness are bad. What he's saying is that like when you are participating in these acts of righteousness, be careful. Be aware of the risk involved. So, let's first understand what an act of righteousness is. One, an act of righteousness is a legitimate, tangible expression of my faith. It is the, it is the fruit of a life that is changed by Jesus. So an act of righteousness is, is something that flows out of a relationship that already exists. Like, Jesus has changed my life, therefore, the fruit of a life changed by Jesus is me doing things like recognizing and seeing um, that I have resources, someone else has a need, God has given me those resources so that I may meet that need. Or the other example, like someone is sick, someone is hurting, someone is discouraged, someone is sad, God has given me access to His Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ, that I can pray for that person for their healing, for their encouragement, for their hope, that they would be affirmed in God's love. An act of righteousness is a legitimate and tangible expression of my faith. In fact, the Scripture will go on to say in the Epistle of James that faith when it is not accompanied by works or an act of righteousness, is dead. Meaning that faith that remains simply internal to my heart, really something that's very private, right? We say that all the time. My faith is private. Actually, faith is not private at all. Faith is personal. But, but the Scripture knows nothing of a faith that remains only inside and that is not expressed in acts of love to others. Because, it is, because 
um, acts of righteousness are a fruit of the relationship that I have with Jesus. And so if you've done things here at Conduit, like when we held um, the, uh, the, the huge clothing closet out in the parking lot, you know, free clothes for the community this past summer, if you've ever volunteered in our kids' ministry, if you have ever taken part or will take part in the uh, kind of annual Thanksgiving event that we do for the city here, if you've um, if you like volunteered at the Brave event this year, you're going to be a part of it this year. You are participating. You are doing an act of righteousness, right? You are letting the you are letting the life changed by Jesus be tangible in the way that you serve others and serve the world, and that is a great thing. And so if those are great things, why would Jesus warn us to be careful while we're doing the things that our faith expresses? So we have, we have three things, three reasons that we need to be careful. Three, three areas of danger to avoid. Number one is this. There is danger that lies in the lure of self-worship. Self-worship. The consistent theme in Jesus' problem here in the Gospels and further in this Gospel, we're going to look at those in a minute, is that, is that people were doing acts of righteousness to draw attention to themselves. That it was, a, it was an effort in, um, in, in building a reputation personally as people who were very generous or super spiritual. If you look at both examples this morning, you'll see that, that Jesus qualifies all that he says with a couple statements. Verse 1 in chapter 6, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. Why? To be seen by them. Jump down. Verse 2, So when you give to the needy, so when you actually do it, because you should, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. Why? To be honored by men. You jump up to the section of prayer in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. Why? To be seen by men. Now, you see a theme here, right? Why are we giving? To be seen by men. Why are we praying? To be seen by men. Why are we giving? We're announcing our giving with trumpets, right? I uh, just want everyone to know that this week I have been very generous. I have given away so much. And... Um, there was these really needy people, and uh, since I have a lot, I, um, I blessed those needy people with the many things that I have. Right? Right. And, and what does the crowd do? Oh, wow. Such a generous guy. Uh, man, he just might, he just, his heart must just be so good, Right? Or in the example of prayer that Jesus uses, um, uh, everyone, please join me as I stand in this place of you know, like in this public environment and sphere, and I, I just wax and wane with such um, spiritual um, articulation that you become um, increasingly impressed with how close I must be to Jesus. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and I want you all to hear and see how absolutely pious and spiritual I am. Oh, wow. 
Like, he, he just must like read the Bible like all the time and have the whole thing memorized. And Jesus must love him so much and be so pleased with him, right? And how do I walk away? Well, I mean, I don't want to brag, but I am the most humble person that I know, right? Well, so there's this, there's this like attitude of why am I doing these things? And Jesus says, uh, to be seen by men. To be, to be recognized publicly for what you're doing. We're in Matthew chapter 6, but later in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus, I can only assume, had simply had enough. <laughs> he had simply had enough um, recognizing the misalignment of these people's lives, particularly the, um, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, where they would, they would be promoting themselves on the outside as like super generous, but he, he could see the inside that their heart was only about bringing glory to themselves. Operating in this twisted form of self-worship, trying to like show everyone else how spiritual they were and how generous they were. And so in Matthew chapter 23, uh, Jesus just like lambastes them. See, here's what's interesting. Is with people who openly don't have their stuff together, Jesus is limitlessly gentle, kind, compassionate, merciful, and forgiving. Wanting to lead them in a different direction? Yeah, absolutely. Not, not being, not being um, like, not just saying, oh, you can just stay there. That's okay. That's not what Jesus was about, right? But he was limitlessly kind and compassionate and gentle and forgiving and loving, leading them in a different direction. But for those, right, who were on the outside like super Christian, but on the inside just like death, destruction, emptiness, spiritual dryness, but on the outside trying to like trying to um, fool everyone about how spiritual or whatever they were, he was very harsh. Harsh, even. Like, and you'll see in Matthew chapter 23 that Jesus flat out was like, you people are a brood of vipers. You religious leaders, you teachers of the law, you Pharisees, he said this in one, um, I laughed as I read this last night. Um, where did he say it? Oh yeah. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when they become one, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. It's Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. And so Jesus was not all like, Oh, gentle and kind and compassionate with people like that. He was like, hey, look, um, you travel over land and sea to make a single convert, but when you actually do, you just turn them into twice the son of hell as you are. So how about you just stop and get it right here before you feel like you're doing something noble by traveling halfway across the world to make a convert that you're just going to reproduce the same death that's in your heart in them. Stop it. Wow. But um, just to point out a, a few more points here in this, like, why is Jesus saying, be careful? This lure of self-worship starts to pop up, right? Um, Matthew chapter 23 verse 5, right? Jesus is speaking 
towards the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Uh, let's actually start at verse 2, Matthew chapter 23. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So, you must obey them, do everything that they tell you to do, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. So what Jesus says is like, yeah, hey, look, yeah, you have spiritual leaders over you, and because of that position, there is some honor that is due them, but I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Don't do what they do. Because they, are, they do not practice what they preach. Their lines are misaligned, right? Their lives are, are totally misaligned. They tie heavy loads, put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Verse 5, everything they do is done for men to see. Everything they do is for appearance. Everything that they do is for others to see. They make the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets, the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. If you jump over to verse 23, he says this about them. He says, Woe to you, Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You are blind guides. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. So Jesus says, over here you have these people who are trying to like show themselves to be so super spiritual that they are literally tithing the spices in their kitchen. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how spiritual you are. I'm going to get out the mint and the dill and the cumin and make sure I pinch a tenth out. And I'm going to pinch a tenth out. And I'm going to pinch a tenth out. Right? Why? Well, because that's just what us super spiritual people do. We tithe all the way down to our very spices. And what Jesus says is like, yeah, bro, you may be tithing your spices, but you're completely neglecting the weightier matters of the law, like justice, and faithfulness and mercy. So you may, you may think that you got it all going on over here, but what is in your heart, right, is totally misaligned. I would rather you be just and merciful and faithful than think that you got to pinch out a tenth of your dill, which is disgusting anyway for me. Amen. Yeah, come on. So what is Jesus' problem here? Jesus' problem is not that people are doing acts of righteousness. Jesus' problem is that so often the danger lies in us trying to, trying to like um, arrange or direct glory for ourselves in our acts of righteousness rather than doing them so that Jesus gets glory. That, that we want to be uh, in, on center stage of the good thing that is happening rather than seeing Jesus be on center stage. Than doing it out of a heart of a life that has been changed by Jesus. We want to be the ones that get the attention. We want to be the ones that are seen by men. We want to be the ones that people are like this. Rather than just doing it as an expression of our faith in Jesus. But here is a corollary and perhaps more important point. What is the danger in doing acts of righteousness 
There is a danger in this. The danger lies in missing the important key of the like origin of salvation. The danger lies in missing an important key in the origin of, of salvation. You see, many of us have either been taught or sit under this extreme amount of guilt because what we have been taught or what has been impressed upon us is that, hey listen, you need to work super hard to do lots of good things. You've got to be a good person. You've got to say the right things. You've got to think the right thoughts. You've got to have the right relationships. You've got you to give enough. You've got to pray enough. You've got to read your Bible this much or that much or, what, or whatever the case may be, right? Because if you don't do enough of those good things, then you're not going to be in right standing with God, that He's going to be angry with you, and that, and that you're not going to go to heaven. You're not going to experience salvation if you don't work hard enough to meet the magical like threshold of good deeds. And so we work, and we work, and we work, and we just try to be more good today than we were yesterday. Try to do less bad things today than we did yesterday. Talk a little bit more kindly. Be a little bit more generous. Do one more act of righteousness that shows that, yeah, I'm conscious of God. I love God. I am, I am, I am, on, the, I am on God's team, and I'm just trying to be a little bit better all because like man it matters it matters god's going to be angry with me i got to earn my salvation i got to keep my salvation but listen acts of righteousness are powerless to affect your salvation we do not do good things because it matters whether or not we will be saved. God saves us in the grace that He offers to us in Jesus Christ. And out of a tangible expression or the fruit of the relationship with Jesus, we move out to do acts of righteousness. But we are utterly and completely powerful to do enough good deeds, enough good things, enough nice words, enough good donations in order to earn right standing with God. And the absolute like, bottom line um, understanding here is this, is that I am powerless to save myself. I cannot be good enough. I cannot do enough good things. I cannot perform well enough. I cannot give enough. I cannot not kick the dog enough. I cannot not yell at my kids enough. I cannot read my Bible enough. I cannot even pray enough to earn my way into heaven. To earn my way into right standing with God. Because there is one way and one way only to have right standing with God and that is only through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way to have right standing, to be in right relationship with God, is not to work hard enough to get there, it's to receive the, God, the gift that God gives to us in Jesus by faith. This is what, um, this is like this, this battle between what we call, or what I'm going to call at least, legalistic righteousness and Christ righteousness. So, understand righteousness in this way, okay? 
Righteousness is, in manner of speaking, right standing before God. Meaning I am in, I am in good standing before God. I am in right relationship with God the Father. Okay, Righteousness. The question then becomes, how do I get in right standing with God? And we compare these two ways. This legalistic way, right, which says that in order to have right standing with God, I better, I better tithe all the spices. And then in order to have right standing with God, I better check all of the boxes on my spiritual conduct for the day. I better make sure that I stay away from these things over here. I don't drink, uh, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do. Legalistic righteousness. The comparison to that is what we call Christ righteousness. That right standing with God comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. Legalistic righteousness says, I can and I will earn right standing with God by doing enough good things. I just got to do better and do more and work harder. Well, the Apostle Paul, who um, was like uber-Christian, right, in the later part of his life, um, he, he bumped up against this idea a lot. Like a legalistic righteousness versus a Christ righteousness. And he communicates this um, to a bunch of Christians in a city called Philippi. And he wrote to them all about the difference between legalistic righteousness versus Christ righteousness. So if we open to Philippians chapter 3, uh, you see what Paul says here. And Paul is basically going to be like, hey, look, if anyone, if anyone has done enough good things or been good enough in order to be in right standing with God, it's me, Paul says. Bar none, totally like perfect in regards to the, like the legalism of law following. If anyone has been perfect, it's been me. Paul said, it still wasn't enough. Philippians chapter 3 is where he communicates that. He says this, starting at verse 4. If anyone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, right? In like the physical action of my life. I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of all Hebrews. In regards to the law, I had pharisaical perfection. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for legalistic righteousness, I was absolutely faultless, he says. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. Take all of my perfection, all of the things I did right, all of my, all of my legalistic righteousness, I, it is all a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Paul says, I lay down every bit 
of right standing with God that I have earned on my own. I lay it down. It is rubbish compared to the right standing that I have before God because of my faith in Jesus. Paul says in another section of Scripture, another letter to a church, the church in Rome, he says this about righteousness, about faith. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says this, starting in verse 21, but now a righteousness from God, a right standing, right? A righteousness from God apart from the law, so a, a right standing is coming from God. It is apart from the law. Don't think, check, don't think checklist, right? Don't think do enough, right? It's apart from that. A right standing is coming from God. Here, here's a right standing. Has nothing to do with this. A right standing... Um, uh, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That a right standing before God is not about doing the right things. That a right standing before God is apart from the law and is found in faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, third and final danger this morning that we're going to talk about is that there is a danger that lies in forfeiting my reward. Right, why does Jesus tell us to be careful doing our acts of righteousness? Because if we're not careful, there is a danger that we may forfeit a reward. Now, this is one of those like razor-thin lines that we must walk on, right? And not fall onto an extreme of any side or another that Scripture doesn't tell us about, right? So we're going to take Scripture at its word. We're not going to go in directions that Scripture doesn't go, right? We're not going to make assumptions that Scripture doesn't make. So when we talk about forfeiting a reward, we're going to just simply take Jesus at his word, and several points in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about a reward, right? Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Uh, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. On to the, uh, the example on prayer, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, what does the Scripture say about the reward and what does the Scripture not say about the reward? Well, um, we have not been told in Scripture what the reward is or when we will receive it. All we've been told is that there is one. There is a reward. Now, I don't know about you, right? But I am guessing that any reward that God desires to give to me is going to be pretty darn good. That I'm going to want that thing. Now, what are some inferences that we can make about this reward? Nothing that we're going to stand on, right? But what are some inferences? Certainly, this reward may be completely spiritual in nature and something that we receive when we get to heaven. Certainly possible, right? 
This reward may be something completely material in nature and something that we receive while we are still here in this, like, in this body, in this earth, living this life right now. It also may be a little of both, right? I know that there have been times in my life where I have been on the receiving end of incredible generosity or what you would call like good fortune. Where there was no other way for me to understand it other than God was blessing me in that moment. Now does that mean that next week I should be showing up like driving a like Cadillac Escalade and like putting a down payment on my new Gulf Stream and like just like blowing my nose with $20 bills all the time because God has promised to reward me and this is my reward. No. That's not what we're saying. Does it, does it mean that every reward that I would get from, from God is only going to be spiritual and would never be material? It would never be provision or blessing or extravagance here on this earth because that's just not the way that God works? No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that it could be one, it could be the other, it could be both, it could be a mixture. We don't know. Scripture does not say. All that we know is that there is a reward at stake and anything that comes from God I know is going to be good. I know it's going to be overwhelmingly not just satisfying but abundant in my life. <clears throat> now the question um, may come up as it often does. The question may come up okay, so well what about this? What about if yeah, I, I recognize a need and I know that God has given me, given me um, the resources to help meet that need and I do it as like sincerely and as humbly and quietly as I can, not trying to draw attention to myself, not trying to, you know, announce it with trumpets on the street corner that I'm being super generous. I'm just trying to address and take care of the need and someone else recognizes, sees, or um, like gives me like a commendation for what I've done, do I forfeit my reward? The answer is absolutely not. What is, what is Jesus, what is the main point that Jesus is trying to get across here, right? is this, is that when we make the good things that we do the center so that people see them first and only and are attracted to them rather than attracted to, the God, to God who is in heaven, that Christ that lives within us, that the Spirit of God moving in us, when we try and draw attention to ourselves to glorify ourselves, to bring renown to ourselves, then the glorification, the renown, the reputation that we get, that's our reward. Congratulations. But that says nothing of times where by happenstance or whatever that someone recognizes that, hey, yeah, we've done, you've done something good. Like, hey, man, that was awesome. I'm super encouraged by what you did. And it was an encouragement to me, and it wanted me to be more generous. Uh, it makes me want to be more generous, or whatever, right? Not about me, but about who I'm trying to draw attention to. It's also, listen, we've talked about this several times <clears throat> about the different ways in which Jesus spoke and taught. Sometimes he spoke in very um, literal language. Sometimes he speaks in symbolic language. We're going to talk all about symbolism in a minute when we take communion, right? Sometimes God or Jesus spoke in language that we call hyperbole or exaggeration for effect, right? Exaggerates something in order to make a point. Like, oh, I felt like I walked like a million miles today, right? 
didn't walk a million miles, but it's an exaggeration to make, enough, uh, make the point that yeah, we walked a lot. Okay? And so what Jesus says here is, hey, hey, look, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Like, literally, Jesus? Like, literally. No, of course not, right? It's not, that's not even a thing. How am I supposed to let my right hand not know what my... That's not a thing to do. Right? The, the, the point here, the point here is that are you trying to draw attention to yourself? And are you using that attention or that good deed to um, substantiate how good you are before God and how it, it has earned you some kind of righteousness? Or, or the prayer example. Well, when you know, when you pray, go into a closet and pray in secret so that no one else sees you, but your father will see you. Does Jesus literally mean don't ever pray where anyone else can see you? I guess that means don't ever pray for someone else, right? Or lay your hands on someone else and pray for their healing. I guess pastors are really screwed, right? Guess I'm never going to pray again in front of y'all. Because Jesus says only to pray in secret, right? No, of course, that's not the point, right? What the point, again, that Jesus is making is like, hey, look, we don't, we don't live a life trying to bring glory to ourselves. We live a life trying to bring glory to Jesus. And so every time we try to take glory for ourselves, we steal it from Jesus. And it all belongs to him. Now, maybe, um, perfectly aware that maybe you have um, grown up, that you have been conditioned this way, that you have taught this way, been taught this way, that you, and, and you're living under an, an incredible amount of guilt and shame because you just don't feel good enough for God. I just can't do enough good things. I, can't, I keep messing up in life. I keep having these thoughts. I keep doing that thing. I just can't get it right. I can't put, I can't put, um, put it together consistently enough time, time and time and time and time and time again, in order to like for God to be happy with me or like to want to receive me, and I just feel like I'm never gonna make it, and that that produces an incredible amount of guilt and shame in our lives when we feel like we should be super Christian, but we're just kind of like below average Christian. And that dichotomy between super Christian and below average Christian is fake. It's false. It's false. There is no like, oh, he's super Christian and she's below average Christian. There's none of that. Because that's all based on of like, oh, I do more good things than you do. I do more Christian things than you do Christian things. There's only one Christian thing, right? <laughs> when it comes down to this, there's only one Christian thing. Believing by faith in Jesus Christ. That is what makes me a Christian. That is what puts me in right standing with God. Now, out of my relationship with Jesus, he changes my heart, right? So that now the fruit of that relationship and life becomes acts of righteousness. But living under the guilt and shame of all of the things that you are not doing and that God is angry with you about is not the way of Jesus. It's not the message of the scripture. It's not the heart of God for you. The heart of God for you is that in Jesus Christ you are right with him. That if you express faith in Christ Jesus, if you receive the gift of his forgiveness that he is offering to you, that you have right standing with God and no longer need to live under guilt or shame or condemnation for the things that you're doing or not doing because in Jesus Christ you are made whole before the Father. Now we're going to um, take communion this morning. Could I have...
someone, Nick, throw on a mask on and come up and help me, buddy. <clears throat> Nick's going to, he'll help me pass out some of his communion cups. Thanks. Thanks, Brody. Um, yeah, I think there's another basket somewhere. Was there another basket somewhere? Or just take a handful or whatever. Carol, I think that other basket is in the cafe prep room. Can you grab it? <clears throat> and um, I talked about this in first service, so I'll say it again for this service. Listen, I hate taking communion with these things. I absolutely hate it. All right? It's like I get it. Like it's, it's not bread and juice. It's like styrofoam and sugar. Okay, that's what it tastes like. Um, but understand this, okay? It is not the physical elements that matter. It is the spirit of the living God, the spirit of the resurrected Jesus that is symbolized in the elements. It could just as likely be Kool-Aid and Cheez-Its. Okay? Because it's not about the physical elements. It's about the Spirit of God that infuses the faith that we take it by. This does not matter. The only thing that matters is Jesus. So, Take the, uh, the wafer out. Does everyone have one? Okay. We come before our Heavenly Father recognizing that this wafer, this bread, this cheese it, whatever, right? Represents for us the body of Christ. The body of Christ was broken on the cross. And in that breaking, when we receive it, when we receive it by faith, God makes us whole. Same thing with the cup. That the cup represents for us the blood of Jesus Christ. Which was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Making atonement for our sins before the Father. The blood of Christ is shed so that we might receive forgiveness as we take of the elements, the body and the blood of Christ. We express our faith in the sufficiency of the body and blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And we receive the gift of God that says, you do not need to work. You do not need to be better than you were yesterday. You do not need to be good enough or Christian enough or pious enough to receive salvation. You need only to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sins, and His righteousness his right standing before God becomes your own. So go ahead and receive. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank You, Father, that You are breaking down 
every wall that separates us from you. That you are giving us access to you, Father, as we believe in Jesus Christ, as we express faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, Lord, that, that you are giving access to, um, to yourself. Lord, we receive this morning a forgiveness, a right standing, a righteousness that we cannot produce on our own through our good behavior, our good thoughts, or our good works. Lord, it is only through Jesus Christ that we are made right before you. And so, Lord, let us receive this morning faith in Jesus Christ that we might, Lord, be right before you in Jesus' name. Amen.